My, uh, my parents raised me for most of my life in this church. I, I know it quite well. I remember uh, being baptized in here, and, and uh, it brings back a lot of memories. I, I was, uh, went to school down below. I don't know how many of you know that there was a school down here, and, and if you uh, didn't know that, I certainly remembered. Uh, I spent uh, quite a few uh, days going and, and going to school and, and learning different things and probably uh, not nearly as much as what I should have, but I certainly learned some things. Um, but I, I enjoy being here and, and talking to you today. I've, I've been away from the church for a while, but I see how God is, is moving within the church, how, how new people are stepping up, different thoughts and ideas are, are coming in, and, and that's a good thing. Because we're all learning who God is. But there's nothing that I can tell you here today that you haven't heard before. I mean, some of you are more than twice my age. Some of you certainly know your Bible more than I do. But I've been asked to come on this Sabbath and bring to you a message. So I've prepared a message knowing that there's nothing that I can teach or tell you that you haven't heard before from somebody else or, or, or learned and come to an understanding. Perhaps these very things that I'm going to talk to you today, you may know and understand them better than I could ever share them to you. So before I, I, I go any further, I, I would like to say that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Amen? With that thought, uh, I'm going to ask a friend to help me tell you my sermon today. And before I do that, I would like to explain to you the concept, the biblical concept of speaking in tongues. Now, the, the biblical concept to my understanding of speaking in tongues is some people say that you can say whatever you want. All kinds of anything that comes out of your mouth. Uh, hoo, ha, he. And that can be interpreted some way as the language of heaven. But, but I, I've come to the understanding, the realization that shortly after Babel happened, the Tower of Babel, God gave to everybody the gift of different languages. There are people here that speak English, correct? There are people that may speak German or French or Italian or, or any other language that God has given you the ability to speak. Now, do we believe that, that God can speak all these different languages? He, he can speak English and German and, and Portuguese. And, and not only can God speak these languages, he can translate these languages. My speaking in tongues to you today may not be that exciting. This is what I want to do, though. I'm going to speak to you in the language of Andrew Clark. The Holy Spirit is going to use my words so that you can understand them in the way that he wants you to hear. So when you leave today everybody hopefully will take with them exactly what God wants you to know and to understand on this, a very, very special Sabbath. 
So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon each and every one of us, that he can speak to us in the way that we need to hear. Dear Lord, you've heard our thoughts, you know our hearts, and we ask that you're here with us and that you can speak a sermon through me and that you can let your people hear it in the way that you want to, in your name. Amen. You know, if the gospel does you, doesn't change you, if the gospel does not change you, it is either not the gospel or you don't want to hear it. This is the, the analogy that I have today. Uh, in coming to church this morning, I, I happened to, to be a little bit late, uh, later than I wanted to. My, my wife, my uh, dad and, and myself were, were driving in the car and, and we started coming along. The, is this the, the 401 here? Uh, what, what's the main one? Two. Highway 2? Came along Highway 2. And I was coming along Highway 2 and uh, I got a flat tire. The front right. So, so in, in getting a flat tire, I went to the back, uh, opened the back, pulled the tire out, Came, came around, uh, took the, jacked the car up, took the old tire off, looked at it, sure enough it was flat, put it in the trunk, put the new tire back on, and as I was tightening the lug nuts, one of the lug nuts fell onto the road and then rolled into oncoming traffic. Now, I'm an impulsive man. I mean, you ask my wife, and she will agree, many of the things that I do in life are, are impulsive. So I did what an impulsive person would do. I stopped, I walked over, picked up the lug nut, and as I turned around, a transport truck going 100 kilometers an hour hit me straight in the forehead. Now, now many of you listening to this story are, are thinking, I I'm so what? I, I'd, what do you mean you got hit in the forehead with a transport truck? This is my thought to you today. Which is bigger, God or a transport truck? I believe that my God is much, much bigger than a transport truck. And if you come into the presence of God, He will move you. If you come into the presence of a transport truck, it will destroy you. But my God moves you in a different way. My God moves you in a way, but only for the better. My God will, will move you in a way that the morning after you decide to do things, you will feel good about the things that you do, never bad. You see, if God moves you and God is in your heart and, and causes you to do things in life, you will have a life of joy and peace, even if difficult things happen. You will be healthier if you listen to God and you will have a guilt-free life if you listen to God. <coughs> you, know, uh, <coughs> you know, water is a brilliant thing if you apply it properly. Amen? You know, so if you, if you have a problem in, if you have a problem within you and you apply the water properly, then it does its function, correct? Now, isn't the gospel exactly the same way? The gospel needs to be applied to your life in the way that it needs to be applied. 
So if you have a problem in your life and, and you just hang the gospel up or wash your hands with it and slap it on your face, and if it's not applied to you in the way that it needs to be, the gospel is, in essence, useless. Unfortunately, the gospel becomes more real to us when times are hard. But how do we make the gospel real to us when times are good, when times are easy? How can we make the gospel living, the gospel a light onto our feet, a, 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 a gospel that's a drink of good water? How do we make the gospel real? Well, before we answer that question, we, we need to ask ourselves first another question. What is the gospel? So before we go any further, I would like to ask you as a congregation today, what is the gospel to you? Good news, I heard. Okay, the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what he did for each one of us. I love your thought. Any other thoughts? Jesus' word. To you, the gospel is Jesus' words? Wow. Good thoughts, young man. You have somebody in your life that's teaching you well. To me, to me, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if the gospel is the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how do you apply that to your life? I, I have a, a little story that I heard once, and I, I would like to, to share that story with you. Now, my dad's in the other room, and, and I could use the story about dad, or, or I could use the, the story... Uh, uh, about anybody here. But let's say I have a friend here. A and I wanted to invite my friend over to my house, and I live in Vineland, Ontario, other side of the lake. Okay? So I invite my friend over, and I say, Friend, what's mine is yours. My friend comes over to my house, he eats my food. That's a good thing. What's mine is yours. But he wants to spend the night. Now, he knows that even though I have said what's mine is yours, he's not going to use my toothbrush, correct? Because that's a personal thing. And now, I've told him what's mine is yours, but I've told him one thing. Please, don't touch my car. Because I love my car. And my car is a very special car to me. It's very powerful, and you can't handle it. But my friend has come over to my house. He's eaten my food, which is a good thing. He wants to brush his teeth, but he's not going to use my toothbrush. So what does he do? He needs to go to town to get a toothbrush. So he jumps in my car, and he drives to town. But I have a powerful car, and he gets into an accident. He gets into an accident so bad he completely wrecks my car. And I love 
my car. Now, do I have a reason to be upset? Yeah, I have a reason. He wrecked my car. I have a reason to be upset. Do, do I have a reason to not only be upset, but to ask him to pay for the car? Sure I do. I've asked him, what's mine is yours, but please don't touch my car. You, you can't handle it. Now, he took my car. So, so I have a reason not only to, to be upset, I have a reason to ask him to replace my car. What if he can't pay? I could forgive him. Okay. If I forgive him for wrecking my car, does it cost me something? What does it cost me? The cost to replace the car. So in, 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 in the gospel, God has said, what's mine is yours, but please don't touch certain things. And we go ahead and we do that and we touch certain things. And well, does God have the right to be upset that we disobeyed him? I believe God does have the right because we've disobeyed him. Does God have the right to demand satisfaction and to, in a court of law, cause us to pay for what we've done? And if God causes us to pay for it, will he ever see us again if the wages of sin are death? He will never see us again. If we pay for what we've done, He will never see us again because we can't pay. But if God forgives us, does it cost God something to forgive us? It cost God Himself. It cost God His life in order to forgive us. And, and I look at the story and, and I think to myself, wow, we did something wrong. God decided to forgive us even though he had the right to ask us to pay. He said, I want to forgive you and in forgiving you, it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me my life. And, and I look at that story and I say, I say, wow, because how you see the gospel will change your life. If we know and understand that, that Jesus Christ, our God, came and forgave us for what we did wrong, and it cost him something, it changes our lives within each and every one of us. Not only will it change how we see God, it will change how we see God looking at us. You see, I love statements that are so profound, they almost seem to stop us in our tracks. They, they, they almost seem so profound, they almost seem blasphemous. I love those statements. And this is a statement that our pastor made to me that I had to stop and think and go, what? Is this really, truly the way that it is? This is the quote. The main purpose of Christianity is not to get you to keep a list of rules. The main purpose of Christianity 
is not to get you to keep a list of rules or even a list of commandments. The main purpose of Christianity is to make you like Jesus. And if you were like Jesus, why would you not do everything else? And I look at that thought and I, I think to myself, I want to be like Jesus. How many here today want to be like Jesus? Amen. That's the purpose of Christianity because that's what the gospel is. You see, the, the purpose of Jesus coming to earth is for me to do four things. The first thing that, that Jesus wanted to undo was Jesus wanted to undo the works of Satan. Satan has come here to our planet and has destroyed things and Jesus wants to undo all the things that Satan came to destroy. Satan came to destroy us. Jesus wants to do away with those thoughts. And he wants to help us. Satan came and, and shortened our lifespans. And Jesus wants to come and give to us life. Satan came to destroy the earth and, and cause a curse to be upon the earth. And, and Jesus Christ will one day rebuild this earth anew. Why? Because he is a creator. Another one of the things that the Jesus came to, to do, my Jesus came to do, is he came to show who the Father is in a way that we can understand. The Jews in that time looked at God the Father and said, ooh, if we do anything wrong, God is going to be so upset. And, and they, they thought of God as a God of vengeance. And, and Jesus sat down and said, you know, you know the little birds that are here that play outside? Not one of them dies without your Heavenly Father knowing and seeing it. And if not one of them dies without Him seeing it, how much more of worth are you than a little sparrow? And, he, and Jesus told a, another story of a, a man who, who got so upset with his parents that he demanded his entire inheritance. And in those days, to demand an inheritance like today is to in essence say, I wish you were dead so that I could have all that I want. Now, this son said to his dad, I wish you were dead so I can have everything. The father said, son, I love you and I'm, I'll give you everything that you ask for, half of everything I own. The son said, good riddance, and he left. And you know what the father did? Every single day, the father sat on the front porch of his step and he looked into the horizon and he looked to see it, is, is that my son coming home? Is that the one that left? You see that the Jews believed in a God of vengeance and, and Jesus Christ came to teach us that God is not a God of vengeance. God is a God who sits on his step every single day of your life and waits for you to come home. Waits for you to come here to his house. You know, one of the, the other things, that the third thing that, that Jesus Christ came to teach me is that there's a kingdom of heaven. That there's a place, a literal place called heaven where you're wanted. Jesus Christ, 
God the Father, the Holy Spirit, all the angels want you in heaven. But heaven doesn't start for you later. Heaven starts for you today. You see, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and if you believe that, then live your life today like you would live it there. If someone does something to you wrong there, which I certainly hope and pray it never happens, but love them. Teach them, talk to them. Be a friend to all people. Because in heaven, we too will be a friend to all people there. And one of the things that I love that Jesus Christ came to do for each and every one of us is Jesus Christ came to break the bondage of sin. Jesus Christ did not want to leave you in your sin. He came to set you free from that. And Jesus Christ, my Jesus Christ, died to break the bonds of sin so that you can have a choice, so that you can live in a way that is happy and pleasing, not only to you, but to your Father in heaven. You see, you will act like the God that you believe in. There was a story of a, of a, a young lady in China, a communist country, and a couple of missionaries vacationing were talking on the subway one day and explaining who God is. And, 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 and the ruler, the, the one in heaven that made everything, the one that made everything is a God of love. And this woman, I mean, she had to get off on her stop, so she, she realized in her mind that something made all of this. And that one that made all of this was a creator of love. So she walked off the subway and she went to her job and, and as a seamstress she understood that she makes things. And she makes them out of love and, and if she makes things out of love then why could not there be another creator in the sky that also made things with love? And she thought, and she went home and she told her husband, you know, there's someone above us that creates things in love. And, and if he created us in love, shouldn't we too create things in love and learn to love other people? So her and her husband decided from that day forward, everything that they would do would be done out of love. And they met once a week. And their friends joined them. And other people joined them. And, and they told this story of somebody above them who, who was a creator who loved them and wanted them to love other people. And years later, missionaries went back to that little town. And the missionaries said, tell, the missionaries said, tell me the story about love. And so the Chinese people told them. And they said, where is the church? And they said, what is church? Well, well tell, tell me where you worship. Well, we worship in our homes. Okay. Uh, who, who, who tell, but you must worship somewhere where they talk about Jesus Christ. Well, well, who, who is Jesus Christ? And the missionaries explained to them that the one that they worship, his name is Jesus Christ. You see, by simply following the law of love, and understanding that there was a creator. In a communist country, this family knew nothing else. 
All they knew that there was a creator above them and that he was a God of love. And they simply followed the God that they believe in. Unfortunately, there are other people in the world that, that view God as a God of hatred. And God hates you and God hates everybody that's not like him. And if God hates everybody, then, then I too want to hate everybody that's not like me and not like him. And it causes, it causes maybe some of them to strap a bomb on their back to, to walk into a crowd and to blow themselves up. Because if God hates everybody, then I too want to be like that God. And I think to myself, it's a pretty sick version of God. You know, I have friends in many, many religions, and, and when God is portrayed as a God of love, it, it causes you to too be a God of love. I'm sorry, not a God of love. It causes you to be a follower of that God. You see, James, James is a brother of Jesus. And how many brothers did Jesus have? To our understanding, he had four. It also said that Jesus had sisters, but Jesus to us is always referred to as our older brother, correct? Jesus Christ is my older brother. But James is one of four people in history that had the right and privilege to say, ah, but Jesus Christ was also my younger brother because I am a brother of Jesus and I am older than Jesus. And you know what else James would say if we went and we talked to James? I saw how my younger brother grew up from a baby to a child to a young man to a man. I know who Jesus Christ is. And if I see you acting like Jesus Christ, then I know Jesus is in you. And I look at that and I think to myself, it's not written exactly like that through the Bible. And James may never have said those words, but the thought remains, I know who Jesus is. And if I see you acting like Jesus, then I know this Jesus is in you. You see, Jesus Christ wants to be more than just your Savior. A Savior can save you from anything. But only a friend can walk with you and can get you to change your mind. You see, Jesus Christ wants to be more than just your Savior. Jesus Christ wants to be your friend. And I look at that thought and I say, wow, the God of the universe doesn't just want to save my life. He wants to be my friend? Why would he want to be my friend? And, and, and the answer that I believe that Jesus wants to be your friend is, is simply the thought that he created you and he loves you. And because he created you and he loves you, he wants you to be like him. You see, Elijah called people to God. Moses called people to God. Peter and Paul called people to God. But I love how Jose says it. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Jose chapter 6. 
verses 1 to 3. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to wait a minute while you open your Bibles because I'm going to walk you through these three verses. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Sorry, 1 to 3. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Come and let us return to the Lord. Do you know that has been the call of all history? From Adam and Eve, even up till today, the call of all history has been and will always be, Come and let us return to the Lord. And then verse 1 carries on, For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. You know the God that I believe in? The God that I believe in is a God of love. My God has never beaten me. He's never hit me. He's never torn me. He's never stricken me. You know what tears me? My sins. My sins tear me. The bad choices in my life beat me up and my conscience for all the things that I've done wrong hurt me and hinder me and eventually will kill me. And when these things happen, this is what God will do. If we've done something wrong and those things have torn us, it says that God will heal us. And when we've done things wrong that, that in our hearts hurt us and, 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 and causes separation between us and God, it says that He will bind us up because the God that I believe in loves us. He will never hurt you. He will never leave you. He will always help you. It carries on in verse 1 and it says this, After two days... He will revive us. After two, what happened after two days? The resurrection. After two days came the third day. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and we too were raised in Jesus. When you were baptized, you're not baptized into the Adventist church. It has no power to save you. What you were baptized in is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus saves. And it says, after two days, he will revive us. Why? Because by believing, we are put into Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, spiritually, we too are raised from the dead. Verse 2 says, On the third day He will raise us up. And like we just said, we are raised up because we are in Him by belief. That we may live in His sight. You know, Moses couldn't see God. Nobody can see God because the face of a shining God, His holiness, His glory, will ultimately kill us. But if we are in Jesus and Jesus Christ is in us, then this promise that we may live 
in His sight is a promise that you too can have. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to live in the presence of Jesus Christ, in the presence of God, and to love that experience and to not run away in terror? I look forward to that day when I, as well as you, we can come to a God and like this verse says, we can live in His sight forever. It carries on in verse 2, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of God. You know, John 17.3 is a verse in the Bible where Jesus is just going into the garden. And he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's having a prayer before he goes to the cross. And this is part of his prayer in John 17.3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You know what eternal life is? Eternal life is not walking on streets of gold. Eternal life is not living in a mansion, even though we may do those things there. Eternal life is, is not eating from the fruit of the, the tree of life. Eternal life is not flying around visiting other worlds. According to Jesus Christ, we may do those things, but you know what eternal life really is? Eternal life is this, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is simply going to be trying to understand who God is. And it's going to take you all eternity to do that. The God that I believe in is so big and so loving and so wonderful, we have all eternity to figure out who He is. You know, the last bit of Hosea chapter 6, verse 3 says his going forth is established as the morning and he will come to us like the rain like the latter and the former rain now we as adventists we understand about the latter and former rain correct this has been something that we have understood since since 1844 and then it moved on to to a righteousness by faith message in 1888 and and god wants to pour out His Spirit upon all people before the end of the world. And we know and understand about the latter and the former rain. But did you know that there won't be any outpouring of the Holy Spirit unless there is first an indwelling of the Holy Spirit? We need to have the Spirit within us before the Spirit can be poured upon us. And I, and I ask the Holy Spirit to be upon us this morning. That as I speak, you can understand the things that God wants you to hear, to know, to understand. And as you walk away, you too can have a little bit of a better understanding who your Lord and Maker is. And, and with that thought, the, all through the Bible, the prophets called people back to God. They called people back to the scriptures. God, the, the God that we believe in is truly the Word. The God that we believe in is in the Bible and, and as Moses called the people back to the Bible. 
as Elijah called people back, as, as Peter and Paul and James and, and all of the other prophets and disciples call people back to the Bible, I would like us to sing that song as a hymn. And I'm going to, to ask, I believe it's George, to come forward and, and lead us in that thought. Bring me back to the Bible. The hymn is 272. Till night shall vanish. 